You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour here at Rosie on the House, your Saturday morning tradition for over 33 years. And in our outdoor living hour, we have a regular format where the first Saturday of the month, we have the Farm Bureau in. The second Saturday of the month, we have an arborist. The third Saturday, a gardener. The fourth Saturday, an urban farmer. So what happens to those magic months that happen a handful of times a year where we have a fifth broadcast? We like to scour the the state and find interesting topics and people that tie into the theme of outdoor living. And all things outdoor living require a common element of water. And so we've got a great program today talking about water because unlike a lot of these headlines, drought causing juniper deaths in central and northern Arizona. I agree that's bad. Globe Water discussing 13% rate hike. San Carlos Lake driest it's ever been in its history, as early as it's ever been in the summer. Colorado River going through a mega drought, state careening toward water shortage crisis. But in the same article that they mentioned, that is the point we want to talk about today. And it states that this is the worst period it's been known since 1576. That's been a pretty long time ago. There's another report by Science Daily from the Arizona, from University of Arizona's laboratory tree ring research that says there was another mega drought that spanned 61 years from 1,118 to 1,179. So the point is history repeats itself. This isn't the first time Arizona's been through a drought system, a mega drought, but it's the first time we've done it with this many people, but we also have a big infrastructure that's never existed before. And to talk about that, we've got Central Arizona Project Canals, Colorado River Programs Manager, who spends more time on the river than probably the combined population of the city of Phoenix, Mr. Chuck Colum, joining us. He's actually on the river in Yuma right now to talk about the Colorado River Programs. Welcome to the program, and thanks for carving out a little time this Saturday morning. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, it's always great to share about the Colorado River and how we're currently managing and how we're preparing for our future. Managing and preparing is key. I pulled two quotes that I have heard over the years, both from Farm Bureau presidents. One, uh, former President Kevin Rogers, that said, because of the lack of water Arizona has, when it was a developing state, Years ago, the amount of infrastructure that was built into the system to sustain our water resources puts us in a better position than a lot of states that naturally have more water than we do. And that infrastructure is what we're going to talk about today. And current president, uh, Stephanie Smallhouse, often jokes that in Arizona, in the desert, in the southwest, your whiskey's for drinking and your water's for fighting. And that, that fight for that precious resource between the lower Colorado Basin is what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to start, Chuck, with the chain of command because you have the Corporation Commission that sets the rate for water. You've got water users associations like AMWA and the Colorado River Water Users Association that help cons- 
conservation. You've got ASU Kyle Center for Water Policy Management, the Department of Reclamation, the Department of Water Resources. Where does that chain of command ultimately peak? Who's at the top of that? Well, so one of the interesting things about the Colorado River is that um, a lot of people claim to be at the top of the chain of command. One of the the truths about that is that um, regardless of how you answer that question, our success has always stemmed from collaboration and cooperation. Um, Arizona learned a hard lesson in 1968 after crushing California in the Arizona versus California um, litigation where Arizona sued California and won at the U.S. Supreme Court because we needed um, Congress to approve the Central Arizona Project. California, because of their political strength, inflicted the junior priority. That means Arizona is the first to suffer shortage because of their political power and the loss uh, that they um, took in the Supreme Court. So since that time, since 1968, Arizona has worked collaboratively to solve Colorado River issues. To directly answer your question, the Secretary of the Interior um, believes that she is the um, top of the pyramid, and if pressed, we would have to agree with her. And then all those other departments that we mentioned fall below that, and they all have their own individual responsibility on water delivery, water management, water reporting. That all goes to that collaboration that Chuck's talking about, working together to make sure that we have a sustainable future for everyone in the desert southwest. Now, CAP is just one of three groups that draw water out of Arizona, and I want to make that point because one of the headlines I saw that I really didn't like that said, you know, if this first tier shortage is implemented, Arizona could lose one third of its water supply. Well, that's not true. The CAP takes is a third of Arizona's overall water supply. And you guys aren't even taking your full allotted amount right now. We're doing such a good job with our water management that a tier one rationing isn't a big reduction on what we're currently utilizing. And, and that's, a, that's a great point. I think that the way to think about it is that the paper allocation for Arizona is going to be reduced by a third. The Central Arizona Project, because of what I just mentioned about the political um, uh, compromise that was reached in 1968, CAP is the junior priority. Um, between Arizona and California. So we will take all of the reduction, which will be about a third of our water supply. And as you pointed out, we have been conserving a third of that amount every year since 2014. So we have been preparing through our conservation program for the shortage that we're going to experience uh, in 2022. And you made a great point just before the interview started when we were talking off air that, yes, these headlines are bad. Yes, we're in a drought. Yes, we have a serious situation. But the point and the reassurance we want to bring to the Arizona homeowners is there's a serious plan 
to handle it. And the rest of this uh, segment and next, we're going to be tra- tra- talking with Chuck about what what that plan includes. Um, it, it's very hard to get specific down to the homeowner because uh, CAP is a wholesaler, but water supply is what they do. And there's no one better to help educate us, the Arizona homeowner, than Central Arizona Project Canal. So what's that first step in that plan, Chuck? Well, as you, as you, as you noted, um, the, the drought is causing a serious um, water supply challenge, but we've been working for decades to have a serious response, um, and we have developed a drought mitigation plan that was created through consensus and collaboration, both with our partners in California and Nevada, but most importantly, within Arizona, with a a coalition of tribal water users, cities and towns, and agricultural users, all within the CAP system, working together to address the shortage that we're going to um, experience in 2022. And I think the important thing everyone needs to be thinking about as it relates to them personally at their home, you know, individual homes don't use a lot of water, but still there's a lot of homes and that adds up. And if we can do this um, collaboration and feel minimal effects of, you know, the restrictions that could be and that could be in place, that just prevents additional red, additional legislation that's going to mandate and force restrictions. You know, if we can do this voluntarily, isn't that a lot better than being having mandates and penalties and fines for, uh, you know, whatever they're come up with in the legislat- on the legislative side of things? I, I think that's a great point. I think one of the things that Arizona is, is and should continue to be proud of is our willingness to take action before there's a crisis um, and to do it um, voluntarily because Arizona is a, a big community of water users. It's not just CAP or the Arizona Department of Water Resources. It includes uh, tribes like the Gila River Indian community, the Colorado River Indian Tribes, Salt River Project as another uh, water provider, the city of Phoenix, the city of Tucson, and all of our water users, if we all work together, we can reduce the impact of some of these reductions. We can't make it snow in the Rockies, but we can work together to um, address those impacts when they come to us. And that means at at the homeowner level, um, to be a good steward of the Colorado River that's being delivered to you and recognize that your water rate may increase because of a future drought. The increase is to provide a more reliable supply in the future. Well, hang on. We've got a, <clears throat> we can do a lot of things here at Rosie on the House, but we can't stop the clock. Time for our first break. We'll be back with Chuck Colum, Colorado Riverwater Programs Manager, Central Arizona Project Canal. 
continuing our conversation with CAP's Colorado River Programs Manager, Chuck Colum. And you mentioned in the first segment what a great win Arizona had over California in the 60s. But I think we missed one element that nobody could have foresaw. I think every California that moves to, from California to Arizona, they bring their water rights with them. So they'd be bringing an acre foot of water every time we get a transplant into Arizona. Brilliant strategy, and uh, I would advocate for it strongly. <laughs> but that's probably not realistic. So let's talk about the realities and the three strategies that y'all work with in the future of the Colorado River supply. We have learned over the past 20 plus years that we're stronger in making the Colorado River more reliable by working together with. Uh, partners. And the first leg of that strategy is working with our partners within Arizona and most importantly in coordination with the Arizona Department of Water Resources. Together, the Arizona Department of Water Resources and, and CAP led the Drought Contingency Plan Committee that developed what we're going to do in 2022. And that unified Arizona position has helped us in the second leg of that strategy, which is our interstate collaboration. That's collaboration and partnership with uh, our, our friends in California, our friends in Nevada, and even um, partners in the upper basin states of Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and New Mexico. Um, those types of partnerships have resulted in shared funding for new infrastructure that saves um, uh, between 60 and 70,000 acre feet a year, um, as well as um, uh, water conservation programs that all three states share. And then the third leg of that strategy is our international collaboration with Mexico. The United States and Mexico share the Colorado River. There's a treaty. And since, um, the, since 2012, we've been working collaboratively with Mexico to share shortages. Mexico will suffer shortages just like Arizona does. And we have invested in water conservation projects with Mexico to help them uh, address the reductions that they'll experience in 2022. Um, so those three levels of collaboration within Arizona, within the United States, and binationally with Mexico are how we're going to build a more reliable Colorado River supply in the future. And on the international level, in addition to just Mexico, <clears throat> there's been a lot of ideas floating out there. Uh, pipelines from the Mississippi River all over to the Colorado system or redirection from the Columbia Snake River confluence down into the Green River, which starts and ultimately ends up in the Colorado River system. There's been desalination conversations and pipelines from the Sea of Cortez. More realistically, right now happening a partnership with Israel and how we address the watering of a lot of our alfalfa. And there's a, a 
program called the Alfalfa Project that if is successful in their goal, they will conserve enough water through new irrigation systems that would really settle the water issue for almost eight years, if I remember correctly, from the studies I've read. That's a great point. Between 70 and 75% of the Colorado River water is used for irrigation to, to grow crops in the U.S. and Mexico. We were introduced to a technology co- uh, company in Israel called Indrib, um, and they have developed and we are testing this irrigation that is a drip system, really simplifies drip application. Uh, it doesn't require uh, pumping or electricity. And when I first saw it, I was like, well, this seems too good to be true. But our tests are showing that uh, it has the potential to reduce irrigation water use by 30 to 50 percent. Um, and if it proves viable, it'll reduce the tension between uh, agriculture and urban users by preserving irrigation, irrigated agriculture, protecting that local economy, and reducing water use. Um, It could be a a very exciting win-win for water management um, and the economies uh, across the Colorado River Basin. The one time I got to hear Jerry Colangelo speak, he said, there's opportunity and adversity. And this drought is a huge adverse time for everyone in the desert southwest, which means there's a ton of opportunity, just like this new technology out of Israel that could reduce our water use and irrigation by up to 50 percent. That's huge. Chuck Colum, we're going to have to have you back on uh, in the future as, you know, just keep us posted on the testing for this and when we can get an update on the new indrip system and uh you know we're definitely going to have you back on for a celebration party at the next big snowpack much appreciated and uh i really appreciate you and your listeners input thanks so much chuck colum colorado river programs manager for cap And welcome back to Rosie on the House. If you just joined us, we spent the first half of this Saturday's broadcast in our Outdoor Living Hour talking with CAP Rivers Program Manager Chuck Colum about the water in the Colorado River systems. The second half of this hour, we're going to focus now our conversation with CAP's Don Crandall, the Water Control Manager of Lake Pleasant and CAP Operations, to talk about what happens now that we've pumped the water out of the Colorado River. How does it get delivered to Arizona residents and the operations? And it's really a fascinating story. If you've heard previous interviews with the uh, other CAP uh, guests that we've had on the air. There's always something new to learn uh, and, and always something that fascinates me even more than the last time we had him on because this is an engineering marvel. Who picture yourself in Arizona 50 years ago and said, we're going to dig a canal 336 miles and that's going to be part of our water. I mean, who thinks of that? 
Don, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So what is the day and the life of the water control manager of Lake Pleasant's operations look like? It usually starts on a Monday morning. We have a, a group meeting with our, our lead dispatchers, our water operations supervisor, our water systems supervisor, our manager of our power programs, and we really talk about uh, what's, the, what's the kind of the real-time plan for how we're going to operate the system throughout the week, kind of taking into account uh, what the customer uh, deliveries are, uh, what the power rates and the power market are, and what our what our annual plan is that we have for diverting water off the Colorado River. Uh, so we really start with that planning session, and, and that really sets the, the pace and the tempo for the rest of the week from a real-time perspective. Now, start at the very beginning of the system. You've got the Mark Wilmer pumping station, and you're pumping water out of Colorado River, up the mountain, into the canal, and drop it down. And you were talking about electric rates. Why is that so important? Well, just like just like with your house, the different times of the year and even and even different times of the day, uh, the actual supply and demand of energy on the market varies, and so the price varies. And so we we look at our operation and try to really optimize our our pumping uh, as we pump water, like you said, across the whole 336 mile system. We look to optimize how we do that, and we have primarily one big knob that we use, which is how much water we're, we're diverting off of the Colorado River at any given time and kind of balancing that with how we're operating Lake Pleasant. And over 60% of the power use comes from that initial pumping site. That's our biggest sucker, biggest draw. There are uh, six engines with over 66,000 horsepower each that are used to pump Arizona's water. How much water, when all six of those are engaged and clicking at 100%, uh, percent. How much water can you pump at one time? They pump roughly around 3,600 cubic feet a second is, is when we're pumping full bore from that pumping plant. And if you didn't divert any water out of the canal, how long would that take to just fill up the canal by itself? Actually, generally would never have that scenario. One of the things we really don't like to do is is drain the canal off. Um, that that if you can imagine, you get some seepage behind there, and the water pressure behind the canal could actually push and pop some of our concrete line panels. So it's really not a scenario we really ever have. We rarely have that when we do some large-scale maintenance. Just like a pool, it was built to contain water, and you never want to have it emptied. And overall, just the canal system itself, do we know how many acre feet of water it holds? Because you had mentioned Lake Pleasant, and we're going to get to there. But the canal itself also is uh, part of our water storage as well for the system because it's always constantly full. The way we operate the canal is really a, a constant volume system so that water is really available at, at any user at any time. So it doesn't have to have that long travel down through the whole canal system. So we, we don't really use the canal much for storage. It, it's kind of a ready uh, delivery, if you could say. Our, our main storage for operational concerns uh, intra-year is Lake Pleasant, and that's, that's how we operate. The system is kind of that Lake Pleasant storage. There's, there's a couple hours worth of storage uh, on 
deliveries within the canal, but for the most part, our storage is uh, the Lake Pleasant Operating Reservoir. And that's where I, a lot of people probably don't know the significance of that lake. And like all man-made lakes, there's a dam. The dam that makes up Lake Pleasant is called the New Waddell Dam, it's an, and it's a large earth dam. Uh, if you've ever driven by it on Carefree Highway, you can't miss it. Uh, but like all things that have a name new to it, the New Waddell Dam, was there an old Waddell Dam or just an original Waddell Dam? There was. In fact, the the original Waddell Dam is uh, below Lake Pleasant now. And so when Lake Pleasant gets commissioned for construction and the what, what was that, the, the late 60s and construction was completed in the mid-80s? Construction actually began of New Waddell Dam in 1985 and was completed in 1992. But the CAP Canal, the construction had started for that years before. It, it did, and, and that had been moving on, and, and the construction of New Waddell Dam was actually a second plan called Plan 6, that was created as a, a kind of replacement to another feature in the original design of the canal system called Orm Dam that was on the Salt River system. So during construction, the decisions made to move our storage facility from the Salt to the uh, Awafria River, and the construction of the New Waddell Dam comes, and most of the water that gets pumped out of CAP first ends up in Lake Pleasant. That's correct. It, it it's really an annual balance that we play throughout the year. So if you can imagine in the, in the wintertime, uh, residents, people are not using as much energy. And so the power market is, is really attractive or the energy market is really attractive. So we will move a lot of water off of the river into Lake Pleasant in kind of those shoulder months when, when energy rates are lower and we get favorable energy rates. But as you can imagine, as temperatures start to heat up here in the summer, uh, water demand, agricultural uses start to increase quite a bit. So we get our largest customer demand. Consequently, it's at the same time when energy rates are the highest. And so what we like to do is move most of the water that we can in off of the Colorado River during those shoulder months, uh, fill Lake Pleasant up, and then during the summer months, we do a, a draw off of Lake Pleasant and use that to meet our large customer demands in those summer months. And most of your deliveries are south of the canal flow from Lake Pleasant. And we were talking with Chuck in the first half of this hour about the water levels in the Colorado River and the way you're describing the water used on and you're pumping on playing an energy game, not necessarily a water levels game. The water level in the Colorado River doesn't reflect the water level in Lake Pleasant. That's more an energy game that reflects that water level. Is that what I'm understanding? You've got it absolutely correct. Lake Pleasant is primarily an intra-year operational reservoir. It's, it's not really intended for long-term storage. So the, the variations that you see in Lake Pleasant uh, within a year are primarily an operational uh, drawdown and, and fill of the reservoir uh, to help us balance energy re or help us optimize our energy resources while we're balancing between our diversions that we're taking off of the Colorado River and the deliveries that we're making to customers. So you said that absolutely correct. It, it's not intended to be a longer term 
storage uh, to help with drought. There, there are a small amount of resources that will be coming out of Lake Pleasant as part of the drought contingency plan that Chuck probably talked about. But for the most part, it's a uh, intra-year operational reservoir for us. And before the introduction of this Colorado River into Lake Pleasant, the Awa Freer River was what was cre- uh, filling up the old Waddell Dam. But that's why we, the dam had to be built 10 times bigger to hold this massive amount of water because the Awa Freer River could never fill up and maintain the level that y'all keep it at with the Colorado River water. Yeah, just to give you a, a that's absolutely correct. The, the, Median inflow that we get in off the Awa Fria River watershed is about 21,000 acre feet or so. And primarily that goes to the Maricopa Water District, who had the original dam. Uh, we move, as you know, anywhere from 1.3 to 1.6 million acre feet, depending on the year and the, and the supply conditions on the Colorado River in through Lake Pleasant, and then deliveries out through our customers. That's a lot more than 21,000 acre feet. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Now, from at the pumping station there at, at Lake Pleasant, we talked about, you know, the six big pumps at, <clears throat> at Mark Walmer coming out of the canal. How big is the pumping station at Lake Pleasant? The pumping station at Lake Pleasant actually has eight units, and four of them are... Uh, just pumps that pump into Lake Pleasant. And then the other four are pump generating turbines. So they can pump into the lake when we're doing lake fill, and then they generate electricity when we're doing releases off of the lake. And that's another engineering marvel that I, you know, when you have lakes like at the Hoover Dam, where they have the water generation from the pressure of the water from the lake behind it, but you guys engineered, uh, pumps to generate your hydroelectric when you're supplying water from the lake back into the canal to deliver downstream. Yeah, you said that. You're right on there. We, When we're filling the lake, these pumps operate in pumping mode, and they lift water from the canal up into the lake. And then when we're in release mode in the summer, and we're releasing from the lake into the canal to meet water deliveries, we're generating electricity. And Arizona geographically is really interesting. So when you think north and south, at least for me, you generally think, well, if you go north, you're higher elevation. If you go south, it's a lower elevation. But the way the system comes across Arizona, once it leaves the Phoenix area and headed towards Tucson, it's actually going up an elevation the whole way to Tucson. So how are you guys pumping water uphill south to Tucson. Yeah, the system is really, it really is very impressive. Like you said, it starts at our Mark Wilmer pumping plant out at Lake Havasu and ends up uh, terminus being just south of, of Tucson down by Pima Mine Road about that area. And, and to get the water from uh, the first pumping plant to the end is 14 pumping plants that we operate kind of in unison with all of the turnouts and customer deliveries that we're taking, or customers that are taking deliveries throughout the year. So that whole system is operated together from our dispatchers here, right here in headquarters. So those 14 pumping plants uh, pump the water up a combined total of about 1,800 feet 
and and most uh, about half of that lift is after the the Phoenix metropolitan area here. Oh. We're talking with Don Crandall, the Water Control Manager of Lake Pleasant and CAP Operations here at Rosie on the House. Final segment right after this. Our final segment here at Rosie on the House for this 8 o'clock outdoor living hour. We're joined still with Don Crandall, the Water Control Manager of Lake Pleasant and CAP Operations, delivering water to uh, over 80% of the state. It's a third of Arizona's water supply comes through the CAP off the Colorado River. So, Chuck, we've talked about you know the, the design marvels and the storage elements and the energy game that you all have to play, but... How are you actually getting water from the canal to the users? That's a good question. We, we have about uh, roughly some 59, 60 turnouts uh, that are, were built into the system that we use to deliver water to all of the customers. Our customers consist of uh, municipal water treatment districts, uh, a tribe, tribal customers, as well as a number of agricultural districts. In most cases, we don't deliver water to the final end user. We're uh, a wholesale provider, I guess, of water to uh, different districts. Say, for instance, you live in the city of Phoenix. You're, you get your water from a city of Phoenix tap. Uh, most of that water, or most of that water, is going to come through their treatment plant. Their treatment plant would be connected to our system. So our system, we have gates and flow meters that we we open up uh, using hydraulic cylinders to to push water out to to the water treatment plants, they would treat that water and then deliver it through their system to your house. So it's really a pretty impressive system, if you think about it, to get water all the way from the Colorado River uh, to your tap at, at your house. And each one of those customers you talked about, uh, where they're taking water at the turnout, it's not like there's an endless amount of water. They can't just call up and say, hey, I need 100,000 more acre feet of water to finish out the year. Each customer already has a pre-allocated amount of water they can take off the system. That is correct. Each, each customer has an entitlement or a, a contract with us for a total annual volume. And then we work with them very early in the year, starting actually here in June. We'll start working with them to coordinate their water orders for 2020. They'll submit water orders or water schedules on a monthly basis uh, that give us an idea of the capacity and how it's going to be used throughout the system. And then on the, on the more real time, they'll work with our lead dispatchers and call their water orders in a day ahead of time. And our lead dispatchers will work through the capacity, decide how many pumps we need to run, and, and where the water is going to be delivered throughout the system for the following day. So you get your following day lined out. Is that now dispatching guys to different pumps at different turnouts at all 60 locations to make sure that the correct volume goes? How, how is that delivery managed? The way we, do, we manage it now is we've got our dispatchers here at our headquarters. We have the whole system, if you can believe it, is ran by two operators in the day plus a lead dispatcher taking orders and then two operators at night. Those dispatchers are here 24 by 7, 365 days out of the year, and, and they can really run every piece of equipment across the whole 336-mile system from here at headquarters. The whole thing's run from headquarters, and this is a system that was designed before the Internet. 
Yeah, we've had. I it was think before beepers. Before my time, we've had three, uh, three or four iterations of the control system. Uh, and you're right; it's pretty amazing that they designed the system before, <laughs> before we even had the internet. Now, what's the future of CAP? I mean, everything has a lifespan. Concrete got a pretty good one, uh, so we're probably not even halfway through the regular life use of uh, concrete that's not in a canal system. We've got a, a significant investment in infrastructure, but we've got a significant uh, time of use anticipated. Is there any kind of projection on, uh, on how long it'll operate as is? It, it doesn't really operate as is. We've got a just a fantastic asset management program here at CAP that that we're really proud of, and that entails really looking at all of the assets that we have, whether it be a you know a centrifugal pump, a a discharge valve, a large you know a 54 inch diameter discharge valve, or a or a siphon going under the Salt River, and and really looking at each of those assets kind of assessing what their estimated life is going to be and what their condition is going to be, and then doing maintenance and, and upgrades on those on that equipment to really keep it, keep it running and really keeping it in tip-top shape. I'd like to say that the CAP probably is in as good a shape as it's ever been. That's impressive. And CAP is a very impressive part of our water system and what makes Arizona uh, the quality of life we have today because – Obviously, without water, uh, none of us would be here very long. And water is also a, very, a huge uh, part of electric generation. So you need one to have the other. And CAP delivers that for us. Don Crandall, the water control manager, Lake Pleasant Operations and CAP Canal System. Thanks again for uh, carving out a little time. Uh, if somebody was just so curious enough that they wanted to know more about the CAP Canal System, you guys have a pretty exciting event coming up. Yeah, we have a, a CAP university that's coming up, and it's a really exciting class. I, I highly recommend it, and you can go to our website at www.cap-az.com and sign up for your Know Your Water News, and, and that'll give you great information that comes out on CAP as well as the details on the CAP university. It is a great newsletter. I've been a subscriber of it for many years and enjoy all the weekly updates and the SCAP uh, facts that y'all have every uh, every publication. And you have different interviews with different individuals that have different responsibilities and uh, managing the system. And there's all kinds of things we didn't even talk about, like the water quality management and the, the fish operations that keep the canal clean and the sludge that we've got to deal with and uh, the buildup of algae and original pumping dam on the Colorado River. It's it's an absolutely fascinating process. And uh, the more we know about it, I think, as residents of Arizona, the more we can appreciate and respect and be disciplined in our daily use of water. 